0: Well, good morning, church. Let me encourage you now, if I can, to go ahead and grab your Bible or grab one of the Bibles that are in the backs of the seats in front of you and join me in the book of 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 5. We are almost to the end of our, our study in this great letter written by the apostle Peter, divinely inspired by the Holy Spirit to the church. And, and as, we, as we come to the conclusion of this letter, next week is gonna be our final Sunday in First Peter. I believe that the Lord has something very specific and intentional that He wants us to hear today. So join me, First Peter chapter 5, verses six through 11. It's gonna be our, our text for this morning. And as you're turning there, um, I do wanna just build on what Chad just shared uh, about some exciting things that happened this week uh, among some people here at Shades Mountain, carnival, college retreat, awesome things. We have one more thing we need to celebrate here today among some of our, our friends and family here at Shades. For the first time ever, Parker High School won the 6A region in football on Friday night. So fellas, Man, we, we're so proud of you guys. We love you guys. Tell, you, tell your other teammates, we're pumped. We're excited about you. Love the way the Lord is using you on that team and in really, really exciting ways. That's great, great stuff. Uh, 1 Peter chapter 5. Verses 6 through 11 is where we'll be. And we do this each week at Shades. We, we stand for the reading of God's Word. So I would like to invite you, would you do that with me now? If you are willing and able, stand for the reading of God's Word. And the reason we do this, if you're new to Shades, we, we want to say this often. The Word of God is our foundation. This is what we stand upon. Not opinions of man, not, not waves of culture, not, not momentum that's happening around it. We stand on the unchangeable, inerrant, infallible word of God. And when we turn our attention to the Holy Scripture, anytime we turn to God's word, we are turning to what God says is right and good and true. This is what we need to hear. So we turn to the word of God expectantly. Believing that God has something to say. And this is what we see in 1 Peter chapter 5, beginning in verse 6. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful, And establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. A powerful word of God to consider. I want to invite you to pray with me that God would use this time to speak directly into our lives and then we'll be seated. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, as we turn our attention to your word, we come expectant. Your word promises that it is living and active. Your word promises that it does not return void, that it, that it does work in us, that it cuts to the heart of the matter of what we need to see and what we need to hear. And so, Lord, I pray right now in the power of your Holy Spirit that is moving among us, would you take this living and active word, would you show us what we need to see, Would you lay before us what you know we need to hear? And would you, Lord God, do something among us, do something in our lives that can only happen with the power, the proclamation of your word through your Holy Spirit. I pray that we are not the same as a result of that which you say. We ask you to use this time for your glory. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. I mean, you may be seated. Thank you for standing with me. As we have been walking through 1 Peter over several months now, we have seen the Word of God just lay before us as a church and, and as individuals and as families. this this call that shows up in this letter over and over again, that the church is to live different from the world around us. And what we see throughout this letter is that every time the Word of God lays out a call for the people of God, every time the Word of God says to the people of God, "You, you you are the elect exiles, you are strangers in a foreign land, you're to be different from the world around you. With each call, there is a reminder of the power of God. There's a reminder of the empowerment that is given to the people of God to live out the calling that God has placed on his people, the church. And so as we step into these verses today, we're gonna see that show up over and over again. There's a call for the people of God and there's the power of God to live out that call. There's a call and there's an empowerment. And I want you to keep that in mind because oftentimes when we hear a call of God in the scripture and we take it upon ourselves, it it begins to feel overwhelming because what God is calling his people to do can only be done in his strength. What God is calling his people to consider can only be done in the power of his living Holy Spirit at work among us. And certainly that's true in the verses we consider this morning. Look at this call that is laid out and look at the power that God gives for his people to live out the calling that has been issued. Verse 6 of 1 Peter 5 says, Humble yourselves. Therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time, he will exalt you. What's the call? The call is to humble yourselves. What's the power? Under the mighty hand of God. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. The call is to to humble yourself. We talked about this last week. The, The way of the Christian life is humility. There's no other way. According to the word of God, the way of the Christian life is humility. And Peter then reiterates what he said, what we saw last week, verse 5. God opposes the proud, gives grace to the humble. He says, humble yourselves, therefore. And the way you do this, the power to do this, is to realize you're humbling yourself under the mighty hand of God. You're humbling yourself under what God has provided, what God has laid before you, what God has done. This phrase, the mighty hand of God, this is a phrase that Peter uses, many commentators will say, intentionally to take the people of God back to their history to remind them of the ways God through his mighty hand has provided for them over and over again. And specifically this term, the the mighty hand of God is often connected to the Exodus story. If you read the story of the Exodus in the the book that is called Exodus in the Word of God, you see the people of God were in bondage. They were in slavery in Egypt. They were hopeless. They were desperate. They were crying out to God. And God, through miraculous intervention, comes and provides for the people. The mighty hand of God delivers them it was the mighty hand of god that that brought about the plagues in egypt that stirred up the pharaoh to the point where he he realized i've got to let the people go it was the mighty hand of god that protected the people of god when the angel of death the final plague of those ten plagues came into egypt to kill the firstborn of all the land the blood that was spread on the doorpost of the people of god God caused the angel of death to pass over any house that had the blood. It was the mighty hand of God that protected them. It was the mighty hand of God that parted the waters when the people were finally released from captivity in Egypt, and they began to go out towards the wilderness, towards the promised land, and Pharaoh recanted on his promise and charged the army after them, and as they got to the edge of the sea, the mighty hand of God parted the sea so that the people could walk across on dry land. It was the mighty hand of God that led the people through the wilderness, as a cloud of smoke by day and a pillar of fire by night. It was the mighty hand of God that provided daily nourishment for the people, literal bread from heaven called manna, water from the rock to quench their thirst. It was the mighty hand of God that gave the people exactly what they needed right when they needed it. And it was the mighty hand of God that ultimately led the people of God into a land flowing with milk. And honey, the promised land provided for the people of God. And Peter is saying to the church in this call to humble yourselves, you are to look back and remember the power and the authority of the mighty hand of God who has provided for you, who has met you in your need, who has done what you can never do for yourself. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. Declare your dependence upon him. Declare that he has promised you time and time again and delivered on those promises. What he has done in the past, he's gonna come through for you again in the future. remember the mighty hand of god he will exalt you at the proper time if you humble yourself and trust him in faith but then verse 7 verse 7 it emphasizes why we so often struggle to humble ourselves under the mighty hand of god In verse 7, Peter says, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. The call is to cast your anxieties on him, on God, under his mighty hand. The power is he cares for you. Cast your anxieties on him because he cares for you. But if we're honest in reality, this is so much easier said than done, is it not? I, I know in my life that's the case. The anxieties of life, they they can grab a hold of me. The stress of life, the worry of life, the fear of Life It has a way of overwhelming us and then causing us to take our eyes off of the provision of God, off of the promises of God, off of the mighty hand of God. I mean, I think about my own journey of faith, my own experience, my own story, and, and when I look back on my story and all that God has done through 44 years of my life, I, there's a song that comes to my mind when I think about my, my journey of faith. And, and it's, a, it's a song that says, all my life, you have been faithful. All my life, you have been so, so good. I can I can point to you over and over again, moments where the provision of God has been tangible and on display. I can point to you time and time again, how God has made a way where there appeared to be mo- no way. I can see those moments in my own story. The mighty hand of God has, has led me. The mighty hand of God has provided for me. And yet if I'm honest, even with all that I've experienced at the mighty hand of God, in just one moment, sometimes in one conversation, sometimes in one difficult circumstance or one painful season, the anxiety of life Can cause me to completely lose sight of the provision of the mighty hand of my God. Maybe you can relate to that. The word anxiety in this verse, in this context, is literally pointing to the idea of being choked out by distractions, choked out by distractions anxiety has a way of choking us out in such a way that we are distracted and we take our eyes off of what God has done and what God has said and what is true according to his word if someone has ever experienced uh, the, the, the traumatic event of a panic attack or an anxiety attack, you, you know that, that in that moment where, where anxiety seems to overwhelm you, it, it's like it's choking you. It's like it has a stranglehold on you, and it becomes the only thing that you can think about in that moment. It distracts you from everything else. That's what the anxieties of life do. They choke us out. They distract us. And Peter here is reminding us of this amazing gift that you have a heavenly father who cares for you. Not only does he have a mighty hand that can provide for you, but he cares for you. He sees your need. He knows your need. He meets you in your need. You can cast your anxiety on him. He cares for you. He wants to carry that weight, that burden that you're feeling. He has grace for a new day, grace for each moment, grace that is sufficient for you and for me in our time of need. And he also has laid out common grace over us to provide for us things like community, things like at times counseling even things like medical help that are needed at times when when we feel overwhelmed and feel the weight of the world and are reminded then hold on we can we can cast this on the lord he cares for us his mighty hand will provide for us the the, the mighty hand that moved in our life in the past is the mighty hand that will move in our life in the present if we will cast our anxieties our cares Upon him, humble yourself. Acknowledge you need help. Acknowledge you need provision of the mighty hand of God. He cares for you. There's this calling on the people of God to humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God. And in verse 8, we are reminded even more of why this is so important. Because in verse 8, we are reminded of this calling on the people of God that we are to live aware of the reality of the enemy. We are to be aware at all times of the reality of a spiritual battle that is being fought in and around our lives. We are to live with eyes wide open to, to the reality of the enemy. That's what verse 8 says. It says, be sober-minded and be watchful. Be sober-minded and be watchful. That means be aware. Open your eyes. See the reality of what the enemy is attempting to do and the reality of this spiritual battle that is being fought around you. And then Peter goes on and he says, for your adversary, the devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. An interesting illustration that Peter gives here, a roaring lion. A roaring lion is an intimidating thing. Imagine that you are in the wilds of Africa and you're just out for a stroll. And you come around a bend on the path and on the other side of some brush, this is what you encounter. You feel pretty confident? That'd be a tough little uh, interruption to a hike, right? A roaring lion. An intimidating sound. An intimidating presence. Why would Peter call the devil the enemy? A roaring lion prowling around, looking for someone to devour, it actually seems a little strange because lions don't roar when they're hunting. If a lion roars like that in the midst of a hunt, that prey that might be nearby, it's gone. It's out of there. It would be foolish for a lion to roar when it is hunting. So why does Peter give us this example? Why does Peter use this term of a roaring lion in talking about the enemy? Well, looked into this a little bit, did a little research thanks to the mighty Google machine, and I found that lions roar with a specific purpose in mind. They they roar to try and demonstrate dominance. They roar to try and mark their territory So that other lions or any threat to their territory know they're there and know they better try and stay away, or else it's going to be on. They roar to try and demonstrate their strength. They really roar as an intimidation tactic. That's why they roar. So, why would Peter use this to describe the enemy? Revelation 12, if you look at this later, you will see the enemy of God, the devil, he is called the accuser. He has many names, but one of his names is the accuser. And one of the primary strategies that the enemy of God uses when he is prowling around searching for someone to devour is he brings accusation to try and convince you to, to turn your attention away from God's word and the truth of what God has said and done. He brings accusation to try and distract you and, and put a chokehold on you. He brings accusation to try and flex his strength and intimidate you. He actually brings accusation because he feels threatened. He, know there, he knows there is another lion that is roaming around. And he doesn't want to give up territory. And so he accuses you. He accuses you by saying you're not good enough. He accuses you by saying you, you are unworthy. Unworthy. He accuses you by reminding you of your your sins and your failures of the past. He he tries to stir up the past to, to use it against you. And think about the contrast there. The word of God was reminding us to look at the past to see the provision of God. To see the power of God to see the grace of the mighty hand of God, but the accuser, the enemy, he stirs up your past to try and use it against you, to paralyze you, to intimidate you. He accuses you in such a way that you will become in bondage to shame. He wants you to feel woefully inadequate, woefully unworthy, woefully unlovable. He takes the light in accusing you. So Peter says, be sober-minded, be watchful, be aware of his strategy, be aware of his tactic, be aware of the reality that he is going to roar accusation in your life to try and convince you in every possible way at any possible time that he can that the truth of God's word does not apply to you so that then he can go in for the kill. So what do we do when the enemy roars accusation at us? How how do we respond when the enemy roars accusation of shame or the fact that you are unworthy or your past disqualifies you or you're never going to change, you're never going to be good enough? How, How do we respond To the accuser, that's where we come to verse 9. 1 Peter 5, verses 9 and 10, these verses, they are so beautiful. They are reminding us that we are not alone. This is is a call for the people of God. Remember, remember when you face the accuser and the accusations of the enemy, remember you are not alone. Alone. Let's see how this plays out. Look at verse 9. Resist him firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Now, if you remember what we've talked about throughout this letter, Peter addresses suffering on many different occasions in this letter. And as he addresses suffering, he addresses suffering as if it is a normal part of the Christian life. He wants the church to be equipped and ready to face whatever sufferings this life may hold and to face the reality of how when we suffer, that's when the accuser loves to pounce. He loves to meet us in our suffering and go, See, God doesn't love you. See, God God has abandoned you. See, you're not worthy. See, you're not lovable. That's why you're walking through all this. It's really helpful to me to see what commentator Juan Sanchez wrote about this text. He said, Peter wants his readers to know that suffering is a normal part of the Christian life, it is to be expected. His aim is to prepare Christians for the inevitable reality of suffering, to equip us to respond well to it and to give us hope during it. Suffering is a normal part of the Christian life. We've talked about that throughout this series. But what we haven't talked about yet until this text is that when we go through suffering, whatever the case may be, That's when the accuser loves to pounce. And so Peter says, look, remember, you're not alone. When the accuser comes at you and roars accusation, even in the midst of your suffering, remember, you are not alone. If you are facing some kind of persecution for your faith, you are not the first person to face persecution for your faith. The the brotherhood of the body of Christ has, has experienced this as well. You're not alone. You're not the only one to walk through this. If people have slandered you or insulted you or accused you falsely, you're not the first person to face slander or insult or or false accusations, if you have been misunderstood or have been wounded by a friend, You are not the first person to be misunderstood or wounded by a friend. The same kind of suffering is being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. You are not alone. This is Peter reminding us that the body of Christ is to be a gift. We are to go shield to shield with one another to say, I hear you. I'm praying for you. I love you. I've got your back. You're not alone. The enemy wants to to convince you that you're the only one. And the enemy wants to accuse you in such a way that you pull away from everyone else so that you are isolated and alone because that's when he loves to do his best work. The word of God says, no, resist him. Stand firm in your faith. Remember, the same kind of suffering is happening throughout the brotherhood around the world, you are not alone. But that's not all. That's important, but that's not all. We are reminded here in verse 10 that we have a perfect Savior who was sent from heaven to take on flesh, to live a life in the flesh, in this world, without sin, without failure of any kind so that he could offer that perfect and sinless life as a gift on the cross for our sin. So that through the perfect and spotless blood of the lamb, A price could be paid for our sin to offer us forgiveness, to to call us out of death and into life, to say, while your sin made you unworthy, your Savior has died in your place to call you worthy. This is what Christ has done. And when he was in this life, he was misunderstood he was insulted. He had accusations falsely thrown at him. He was persecuted. He was even betrayed and denied by a friend, the very friend who is writing this letter, Peter. Peter is reminding us when you face the accuser in the midst of a difficult season and accusations are roaring against you, you are not alone. You have a Savior who not only understands what you are walking through, you have a Savior who went to the cross for you, not because he deserved it, because we deserved it you have a Savior who took all of those accusations on his back at a cross, who shed his blood to to cover our sin and the sins of others. So that as he was put in a grave after his death on the cross, those accusations, they would stay in a grave. When Jesus rose from the grave, the voice of the accuser Began to lose its power. And the accuser is roaring right now, trying to guard territory because he knows there is the very literal, real threat of a true roaring lion who is going to defeat him once and for all. You know, there is another lion in the scripture. Not just the the roaring lion of the enemy prowling around. There is a lion called the Lion of Judah who is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. There is a lion, the Lion of Judah, who has once and for all already defeated the accuser and will return to silence him forevermore. There is a lion... The Lion of Judah, who conquered sin and death and reigns supreme as the King of kings and as the Lord of lords. Turn with me now to Revelation chapter five. We're gonna gonna land the plane right here today. Revelation chapter five, look at verses two through five. The revelation given to the apostle John Revealing the things to come. It says this, as John writes, I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven and on, or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. So I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or look into it. And then one of the elders said to me, weep no more, for behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. The lion of Judah has come to do what no one else can do. The Lion of Judah silences the accuser. The Lion of Judah has come to conquer sin and death and all the accusations once and for all. And the Lion of Judah provides access to the Father, to those who humble themselves under the mighty hand of God, to then ultimately exalt those who trust in him who will enter into his glory forevermore. So when the roaring accuser calls you unworthy, you listen to the voice of the line of Judah who says, I died to call you my own. When the roaring accuser says, you are not good enough. You will never measure up. You should be ashamed of yourself for the way you have lived. You listen to the voice of the Lion of Judah who says to you, I died on a cross so that you could step into new life and be called good enough because you're one of my own. I stepped onto the cross despising the shame so that you could be created as a new creation and a child of God. And I defeated sin and death so that all of those accusations and all of that sin and all of that shame would stay in a grave when I rose conquering once and for all. This is the Lion of Judah, the King of Kings, and the Lord of Lords, who is saying to you, the voice of the accuser will have no authority in your life if you will trust me at my word and know that I am coming again once and for all to restore, to confirm to establish, to strengthen you so that you will be lifted up into the glory of God forevermore. The line of Judah is for you. The line of Judah sees you. He knows you. And he has done for you what you desperately need him to do, what no one else can do. So humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. That he might exalt you at the proper time for his glory and for his joy. Peter puts the exclamation point on it, verse 11, when he says, It is to him, to him, that all dominion belongs forever and ever. Amen. Amen. What voice are you listening to? Are you listening to the voice of the accuser who wants nothing more than to distract you away from the truth of what God has said and the truth of what God has done so that he can get you to a point where you are isolated, you are alone, you are ashamed, and he can pounce? Or are you listening to the voice of the Lion of Judah who says, through my gift for you. You can be called my own and you can be with me as one who is called worthy by the blood of the Lamb forevermore. May we humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God and be reminded that the Lion of Judah is reigning supreme as the King of all kings. Let me pray for us as we close our time this morning. Heavenly Father, I can only imagine when this many gather together, there are quite a few who have been hearing the voice of the accuser. There are quite a few who have been intimidated and paralyzed by the accuser who is roaring accusations, perhaps based on their past, perhaps based on their struggles or their failures, perhaps based on the way they've been treated by others. And the accuser is roaring. And it's loud and it's intimidating. He's saying you're unworthy, you're unlovable, you're not good enough, you should be ashamed of yourself. Oh, Father God, I pray right now for those who have been wrestling with these accusations. I pray, Lord God, that the voice of the Lion of Judah would roar so loudly over their lives that it is undeniable. I pray that they would hear the truth of a Savior who loves them, the truth of a Savior who gave his life for them. The truth of a Savior who threw their sin and all those accusations of the accuser in a grave. The Savior who rose victorious, defeating sin and death. Who left that sin and all those accusations in a grave. And I pray that they would see and hear the voice of a Savior that says, come out. Come out of hiding. Come into new life. Come into the power that is yours through the Holy Spirit. Come underneath my mighty hand. Trust my provision. I pray that they would hear the voice of a Savior saying, if you trust in me by faith at the proper time, you will be exalted in my glory. Trust me. Trust me. I am coming again. Oh Lord, I pray that we would listen to the voice of the Lion of Judah. That we would listen to the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the one who has conquered, who is reigning, who will return. Lord, I pray in the power of your Holy Spirit that you would silence the voice of the enemy. He wants to roar loudly. He wants to create division. He wants to... Bring about accusation. He wants to put people in isolation. Lord, silence the voice of the enemy. And let us rest under the hand of the line of Judah. We thank you for your power and your strength. We thank you for your comfort and your grace and your care. We pray, Lord God, that you would give us the faith to trust you and follow you wherever you may lead. For those today, Lord, who have never trusted you as Savior, and Lord, I pray that today would be the day that they would step into the good news proclaimed by the line of Judah that says, you are made new through the blood of the Lamb. You are made new through the cross. You are made new through the power of the resurrection. Trust in the grace and the mercy and the forgiveness of what Christ has done and receive this gift of salvation. Oh, we praise you for who you are and what you have done. Give us the faith to follow. Give us the faith to trust. Give us the faith to listen to your voice over all others. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.